Welcome to another episode of the DPHA Drip, brought to you by the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association, where we offer open dialogue and connection to elevate the community of kitchen and bath industry professionals. Hey, everybody. I'm here with uh, Vic Samurai. This is DPHA The Drip podcast. And uh, Vic Samurai, pronounced Samurai, is a 15-year veteran in the kitchen and bath industry and currently serving as a national director of strategic accounts. In this role, Vic leads the sales team on key customer relationships, influencer outreach initiatives, and supports national training efforts. In past roles, he has been director of showroom sales, regional manager of the West and Central regions, and eight years of the cabinet retail sales side of the business. His alma mater is Pepperdine University for both undergrad and business school, where he also enjoyed some time studying in Oxford, uh, England. And Vic is currently in Southern California with his wife and four children. Uh, so we all know Vic as... Uh, as hey, everybody. The, hey, as uh, he's with the, he's currently with the house of roll and uh, we, you know, in our industry, we've seen a lot of consolidation. So we've seen a lot of uh, larger companies or conglomerates acquiring the smaller businesses, smaller showrooms or smaller vendors. And uh, the uh, recent one has been house of roll acquiring uh, Victoria and Albert uh, roll Shaw's. Am I missing anything, Vic? Yeah. Rhea Bell, uh, parent and row. There you go. And, um, you know, now all together as, as one new company under the House of Roll. So it's been quite the journey. You know, I, I started with uh, Roll LLC, family-owned company, uh, just over seven years ago. And so this whole process of consolidation and integration really started, you know, in our minds about three plus years ago. But, you know, as I'm sure I'll have a chance to explain, and, you know, I'm sure you've noticed Things take time, you know, you got to do it kind of one piece at a time until it fully all comes together. And uh, it's a very different place today than it was a few years ago. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and usually uh, consolidation is kind of like anyway on the showroom end for us, like anytime we hear of a company getting acquired, we're kind of like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> like, here's just, a, here's another Amazon company or, you know, we're sure. just, we're just going to roll right into the, right into the, uh, you know, just the big corporate culture. Um, but I haven't really seen that's been the case with roll, uh, or house of roll now. And they've, they've really been able to maintain the integrity of, uh, you know, of, of what the roll family has built. Um, so, I'm really excited to talk about consolidation because I think it's 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 a trend that's been happening a lot in our industry, and I just I haven't heard that many people talk about it. And so I'm uh, thanks for being here, Vic. I'm I'm really excited to get going. Yeah, and, and to your point, I, I think you know people's first reaction tends to be the emotional uh, one, you know, the doom and gloom. I, I think yeah. not just for pessimists, but I think people have seen it go in not not so right directions when companies are acquired, whether that's brands that you're used to selling or a showroom. But, you know, I think it's important for people to recognize that, you know, A, this happens in every industry. It's certainly not unique to the decorative plumbing and hardware space, but also it's, it's a natural part of any industry's life cycle. You know, you start a new and emerging industry. At that point, it's highly innovative. Uh, it's moving at a rapid pace of acceleration and you get this growth. And what happens, and again, speaking more broadly to all industries, 
is other people see that and they want to get in on that. And so all of a sudden you have this new phase emerging out of it where there is growth, but that growth brings into it more competition. And you get other people that start to offer similar products, similar services, and some survive, some don't. But usually it's a little bit after that stage when an industry starts to hit this maturation, you know, think midlife, if you will, of a complete life cycle. And that's where, you know, maybe the companies that started out truly innovative at the beginning run out of a little steam, start coming up, you know, with not so great new ideas. And they look for people to acquire that can provide that either by way of new innovative products to refresh that life cycle or entrance into new markets, you know, permission to play in different channels. And so I, I think strategically what you find is that if you don't at that stage of maturation, reinvigorate and restart the innovative cycle, then you end up just kind of staying the course, not innovating with the industry. And then you get into this period of decline and ultimately you know, some companies uh, don't make it. And you could pick out really any industry that you like, whether it's electric vehicles or, you know, you mentioned Amazon. So you, you can look at several e-commerce sites that, you know, started out fresh and, and hard and are no longer because of either Amazon or someone else that, that acquired them. So it's, it's certainly not unique to the decorative plumbing and hardware space. And I think rather than fear it, we just have to be enlightened to understand where exactly we are either as a showroom or a brand in that life cycle. And I think after you ask that question, the more important one is where do we want to be and how do we get there? Yeah, I love that. Um, so let's get, in, uh, let's get into the industry life cycle. I know you shared a couple of uh, kind of the, as you, as you described in basic uh, marketing 101 charts and uh, the first one you sent me was uh, was this industry life cycle chart. So uh, why don't you take me through that a little bit? I'm going to share my screen here so that everybody can see. Sure, and and you know this I think just speaks to it from a more you know marketing textbook standpoint. But you know you have this very early part of the chart where an industry is emerging, and I, I think for the decorative plumbing and hardware space, you know it's probably right before uh, you and I were born. So it's probably in that late '70s space where really the market was coming to understand that, you know, these weren't just commodity items. And, you know, if you think back to even our company, you know, when Ken Roll was starting, you know, initially people thought no one in the United States market would want some highly innovative European expensive, you know, solid brass kitchen pullout faucet. But, you know, as a DPHA fellow that he was, you know, he kind of got in on something that, uh, I think a lot of people eventually caught on to, but the way he did that was, you know, he really targeted these early adopters, people that are looking for either, you know, fresh off the dock technology or, you know, style trends. And, you know, in, in marketing world, you want those early adopters, uh, first the innovators and then the early adopters to really catch on to your, your product, because after that, you'll start to get middle and later adopters and eventually laggards. Uh, that come on. But by the time they come on, the innovators and the early adopters have already moved on. So you really need to have, if you want to stay in that growth space, uh, constant innovation. And you know, when you get into the maturity phase, growth starts to slow down because it's now crowded space. There's a lot of competitors. And what you find is that the stronger players will buy out some of the weaker players and will get involved uh, in either new markets and, and be able to penetrate differently. 
or they're going to buy technology from others. And, you know, the ones that don't get acquired or don't go back and restart the cycle of innovation end up in that area of, of decline. Yeah. And I mean, innovation is, it's, it's, that has to be the hardest part because how can you, how can you predict what everybody is going to like or catch on to, or what's, what trend is going to catch fire? Like I remember a long time ago when glass vessel bowls were a thing. Do you remember that? Yeah. We, I think we actually imported some for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it didn't last at all. And so the problem was, and I, you know, I have a small shoebox showroom, so any new display for us is like a big commitment. And so uh, we brought it. I remember when this like caught a really big trend, we brought in like two or three uh, glass vessel bowl displays and uh, it seemed really cool at first and everybody loved it for about a year or two. And all of a sudden it just vanished because they, it, it, you just, I mean, the trend just like went away. And then, so you, what you saw is you saw like the first innovators create like just the basic, you know, clear bowl, or, you know, maybe it had a little bit of green tint to it, you know, when you add the coat of protection to it. And then they started getting coming out with like mosaics or, you know, different designs or colors or things like that. And you saw, like you were saying, you saw some of the followers or some of the early, the, uh, um, I don't know, what did you call them? The people who catch on early, right after the innovators, what are they called? Yeah. Yeah. You get the early adopters and then you get yeah. you know, fast followers and different things like that. Right. And so you started to see all these companies catch on. And then all of a sudden now we're stuck with, uh, you know, a surplus of glass vessel bowls because it just, that's it. No one thought they were cool anymore. They, it, nobody wanted to do it. So, and then you have trends like, you know, new finishes or textures that are coming into the market now. And it's like, how can you predict how long those trends are going to last? So what are some things like, what do you guys do to try and, you know, to try and be innovators or to, you know, to come up with uh, innovative products and ideas and how do you test it in the market before, you know, you decide that you want to invest in it? What do you guys do? Uh, it, it's a great question because, you know, as you know, House of Roll, we now touch all kinds of products, right? We're more of a total home solution, whether it's bathing products from tubs to shower or in the kitchen, you know, sinks and faucets. And so we believe that as a leader in the industry, and certainly as a leader in, in the luxury side of our industry, we have to constantly be innovating because there are fast followers that watch what we do and not everything we launch is going to be great. And so, you know, you do get fast followers that try to catch on once they see that certain items uh, are coming in. But on the front end side, on the new product development side, you know, we do historically have gone to the shows to see what's up and coming from you know, certain high trend markets, whether that's in Europe or in New York City, or even out here in California, these are markets where you, you have a lot of innovators who you know, want to uh, jump on early. And so, yeah, I'm glad you put up this chart because, you know, on the one hand, you want to appeal to the innovators, but if the innovators are such a small percentage of the total consumer base, you can't only appeal to them. So you want them to jump on early and say, oh my gosh, this is great. I love it. But then you also have to keep coming out with products that, you know, either the early adopters or the early majority or the late majority are going to finally sign on to, um, you know. So for us, when you think of just the stuff we've launched in the last few years, like, you know, having the painted decal front on a Shaw's sink, right? Like mm -hmm. 
apron front fire clay is a crowded space. It's become commoditized. So what is a company or a brand rather like Shaw's, what can they do if they've been making that product for 140 years? Well, you have to go back and innovate, whether it's finishes, sizes, you know, the shapes of the bowl. Similarly with Victoria and Albert, you know, one of the pioneers of freestanding tubs. And, you know, we launched 194 of the Rawl uh, series painted tubs. And this year we've collaborated with Wallpaper Magazine to add, uh, you know, different suites of color to help designers. So we always have to be innovating and doing stuff. And along that process, we talk to our customers. We talk to interior designers, architects, and showroom clients. You know, when we first launched House of Roll as a concept, and I don't mean when Roll was using the phrase, I mean when all the, the five brands were together and we went to KBiz in Orlando. And I remember standing there, said House of Roll up top, it was on my name tag. But you know, if you would have looked under the hood, we were still really separate companies in every single way. But mm-hmm. my big takeaway, from, yeah, my big takeaway from that show was people started saying, oh, House of Roll. Okay. Okay. Um, does that mean I have the same rep? Does it mean I can send in one PO? Does it mean that you have one customer service number or that, you know, if I have VNA and Roll in the same showroom, will my VNA sales count towards my Roll rebate? And I'm like, whoa, there's just so much coming at me. I don't have any answers for any of those questions. But as we regrouped and flew home, you know, one of the things I remembered was, hey, I heard those same four things from everyone I talked to. It must be that that's what's important to them. And so I, I think, you know, a lot of times people look at consolidation and they think, you know, someone acquired someone else in order to either steal something out of it or, you know, to remake it into their own mold or, or something like that. But I really think that a company that wants to get back to growth that buys someone is looking to restart that innovation cycle. And, you know, in our case, uh, we really found that to be the case. There are things that we're able to do now that we really couldn't do in the past. You know, when we were a family owned company, the very thought of entering the Canadian market was something that, you know, we would have lost a lot of sleep over. Today, because of our partnership with Riabel, we're in the Canadian market. Because of our partnership with Perrin and Rowe and Shaw's and Victoria and Albert, we're able to get into the EMEA market. And there's even now House of Roll entering the Asian luxury market. So those are all great wins that would have never come if we would have just stayed in our normal trajectory you know, as a mature company. And so in a lot of ways, we really reinvigorated and jumped back to the beginning of that growth curve um, by innovating as a company. And our products continue to do the same. Right. So... So th- those are a lot of benefits of consolidation. So it sounds like uh, it sounds like those were those were really really huge benefits uh, for the company consolidating, and it allowed you to kind of restart the innovation life cycle of the company from where it originally started. It has, and you know, even if you, you don't necessarily restart it, but you know, you have to keep pace in an industry that's that's changing, and you know, arguably. Our industry is rapidly changing. You see that with the adoption of technology. I think everyone's seen it in the last 12 months as we've been forced to innovate, right? Constraints breed creativity. And all of a sudden with showrooms that are closed and you know, material strains and everything else, you know, supply chain wise that people have had to deal with, you saw that some people sat around and complained about it. And others said, you know what? We're gonna figure this out. What's a new way I can still provide training or samples or get in front of somebody with, you know, 
what they need to hear. And I think it's those innovators now that are, are winning. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, but the, I mean, you've also seen, you've also seen some horror stories of consolidation. So let's, I mean, let's kind of go into that a little bit. What, sure. you know, why, why are we seeing, uh, you know, so it, it sounds like the purpose of, of role as a family, as a mature family company, as a mature family, you know, manufacturer, uh, a big reason why that they consolidated was that was so was for the purpose of innovation. But in general, why do you think consolidation is becoming such a huge trend? Well, I, I think in, in one part, it's because these bigger companies are looking for new innovators to pick up on and, uh, you know, kind of jump on their ability to, to have cachet and capture new customer segments. Um, but, you know, I, I sometimes look at big companies versus small companies. And I, I think, you know, and maybe this is because we're not that far from the ocean here in Southern California, but you look at big ships, right? And big ships are, are great. They provide a lot of value in the shipping industry. You can put a ton of freight on there and they can, you know, traverse the oceans and that's great. But a big ship also turns very slowly. And you compare that big ship with a jet ski and a jet ski is nimble. It's quick. It can turn on a dime. But at the same time, you know, you're very limited on you know, how much you can actually put on there. And I think that's similar. And so when you have these bigger companies that are, let's call them the big ships, they can't always jump on new, innovative and emerging trends very quickly. You know, there's a lot of red tape or there's a lot of, you know, uh, people that have opinions and you know, decisions that need to be made and meetings that need to be called. Whereas smaller companies, and this is true for brands and showrooms, they can jump on things very quickly and innovate, you know, at the speed of sound. And so I think sometimes you have big companies that know that they have that struggle. And so they want someone that's, that's nimble, that's going to bring that energy, that's going to bring a fresh perspective, that's going to bring a diverse point of view, because they, by their very nature, are more of that, you know, sense of urgency and make a change as opposed to the comfort of stability that comes with, with a larger organization. You guys, uh, you guys feeling the effects of being a larger company now, like you were saying. So do you feel like the ship is bigger and harder to turn? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it really depends on you know, what the topic of conversation is. I, I think one of the great things about where our company is now is, you know, we're still right here in Irvine, but now we've added a second warehouse. So yeah, that second warehouse can add one level of complexity because some of our products are out of uh, Charleston, South Carolina, the former Victoria and Albert warehouse. But at the same time, the benefits far outweigh uh, the challenges. You know, we still have you know, members of our team uh, you know, that really know the industry, that have that institutional knowledge. And so it's weird because in one way, we're, I'm still in the building here. I just talked to Lou five minutes ago. Like, There's so many things that are the same. On the other hand, you know, yeah, there are things that as part of a bigger company, you're just naturally going to do differently. But, you know, when I look at it and I compare the, the pros, you know, meaning the bigger pantry now that we have to be able to go to for all the things that would have been challenging before, whether that's looking at data analytics or IT or, you know, investment for our new displays. I, I think your showroom has some of our new stuff on there, but, you know, we just made a $13 million investment and new merchandising, and we've been rolling that out. We're now starting year two of a three-year uh, program. 
But that's something that for a small family-owned company, that's really hard to do. For a, a big company that is willing to make investments and is willing to take bigger risks, you know, it's it's more palatable. And so, yeah, I do feel you know a little bit more of the big ship, but in short, I really I feel more of the benefits of the big ship than the challenges. Yeah. So, I mean, you wouldn't have been able to make that big merchandising investment without it. So, right. Or that would have been a lot more difficult and, you know, with the old company structure. Yeah, absolutely. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're asking a family to put up their own personal funds versus, you know, looking at it from a a longer term perspective of uh, investor and shareholder value. And, you know, one of the things that, that Lewis said in the past is, you know, it really wasn't about cashing in and walking away. And that's a big reason why he continues to be a part of our business. It was about finding the right partnerships to really build the next phase of the company, the next life of the company. And, you know, I really think that when you look at a lot of of mom and pop showrooms, that's, you know, to me, a lot of the ones that get acquired, it's because they didn't have that next phase of, you know, where do we go from here for the next 10, 20, 50 years of the company being around and, you know, you see it a lot with some companies, particularly companies in Japan, where they have these hundred year business plans and they say, you know, we're preserving this company for our great grandchildren. And you, you don't see that with every mom and pop brick and mortar. And it's really something that, you know, I, I think should be considered because if your only plan is to get acquired, then that's, that's what's going to happen. But if you yeah. are planning differently by way of looking for a solid strategic partnership that will help you get to that next stage of growth then acquisitions and consolidations can be a very wonderful thing. Yeah. I mean, we're dealing a little bit with that right now. I mean, I'm in a family business. I'm a second generation. And so uh, dad's kind of stepping into retirement. And so we're kind of planning strategy and growth and some of the changes that we're going to make. So we're definitely feeling the effects of a company that has done the same thing for the last like, yeah. 35 years. Uh, but I mean, it's a little bit different. We're just, you know, just service and retail is, is different than being a manufacturer. Uh, but it sounds like, so the next phase, you know, you were talking about next phase, the next phase for you guys in, in, in growth was, a uh, you called it a total home strategy. Um, sure. and so yep. tell me about, and, and I, I kind of think I know where you're going with this because it, uh, you know, when, when role, and I know this uh, from selling role for many years that uh, it, you didn't have the total home package. It was like role was known for their brass and their fixtures. They had some sinks, uh, had very, you know, nice fixtures for the uh, shower. Uh, but I mean, that was pretty much it. So, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about where the, you know, how the strategy was implemented of, of becoming a total home uh, company. Sure. You know, I think any company that's looking for growth will sometimes ask, you know, what are the adjacencies that we can get into? And you certainly saw that with the legacy role business, right? We got into, you know, importing fire clay from Shaw's and then importing fire clay from Alia. And, you know, you always want to keep adding different things. And, you know, at some point bathtubs were on, you know, lose mind and, and we ended up not opting to go that direction. But even Victoria and Albert, you know, if they're selling a bathtub and think five years ago, why not introduce vanities? Why not introduce tub fillers and brassware? And so you always have a company that has a core competency, but then looks for these various adjacencies in order to expand into either you know, new markets or get new customers, new channels. And 
what I found is that one of the benefits of integrating these five brands into one house of role solution is that you can allow someone like Victoria and Albert to just focus on what they're best at, which are bathtubs. You can have you know, a company like Riabel, which is really known for you know, their great plumbing valve, you know, third generation master plumber who founded it. And, and we say, focus on that. Like, you don't need to get into sinks tomorrow in order to expand your business because you're part of the house of Roll now. Roll can focus on sinks and Shaws can focus on sinks. So I, I think there's you know, huge benefit in everyone emphasizing what they're really best at. And that's where you, you build that synergy. But also as a company, you know, if, if you're trying to enter a new space organically, like let's say we really want the total home and now we're going to get into toilets, right? And I'm not saying we are or aren't, but how long would it take for us as a brand to penetrate into an already really crowded category? Could take a very long time. But if we acquired someone that was already in that space and well-known, now we're immediately a part of it. And so, you know, that's part of the idea is the more rooms in the house that, that we can have uh, by really focusing on the core competency of each brand, I think the better the offering is for the showroom to be able to say, I have this one great company that meets your need. And it's easier to work with for the consultants as well. The other thing I would say is it really ties into you know, what I was saying earlier about getting permission to play in new channels. You know, as a small family owned company, it was really difficult to have much market share in the project workspace, right? These big brands, these flags, they don't, they don't really know you. They don't really want to work with you. You don't really have a team that can turn around things quickly. And by partnering with you know, our friends on the Moen side and being a part of a big organization now, we're able to offer this, what we call a pool to penthouse strategy to the bigger hotels that historically you know, would have said, well, you know, Cleveland Fawcett Group is, is great for the public spaces and Moen's great for these floors, but what do you have up here that we can do in the suites? Well, now with House of Roll, they can outfit the entire building and it's just a better solution for that developer uh, or that builder. Yeah. Well, so all you guys have to do is just acquire Toto and now you're in the, now you're in the toilet <laughs> yeah. market. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, then what are, I guess, like, I mean, what are some, some of the things that, you know, differentiate, you know, in consolidation or what you guys feel differentiates in consolidation and like, uh, how are you preparing for new waves of innovation? Well, I, I think the first part of that question in terms of differentiation, you know, if, if all, like to your point a second ago about all we got to do is buy Toto. I, I don't see that happening, by the way, but no, <laughs> uh, I'm not on the acquisition team. But, you know, let, let's say we, we just went out and sourced uh, tubs or not tubs, toilets from someone that really wouldn't be, you know, the most inline thing for what the House of Roll provides in terms of value to a customer. Because when you look at each one of our brands, they're really well known as being a leader in the category they compete in. And so you know, we're not just putting these companies together in order to win a total home solution. If we wanted to do that, we could pick up vanities and hardware and add everything else under the sun. But the goal is to offer something unique in that each one of our brands tells a very unique story. And we know that stories and heritage and you know, where products come from is really important to the luxury consumer. And so that's something that, that we didn't compromise on and won't compromise on is you know, what the, the brands say about our customer. You know, we, we like to use the phrase that you know, our customers, uh, you know, are, they have a, a 
story of their own, right? It's a story of a life well-crafted and the products in their home help them tell that story. And so that's really unique about our solution versus any other company that might say, hey, we have this room figured out now and oh, we got a, a fireplace sink now and that complements our, our faucets. So it's, it's very different in terms of our approach. And yeah. then uh, the, the second part of your question, uh, remind me again. How are you guys preparing for new waves of innovation? Oh, so how are we preparing for new waves of innovation? Yeah, I, I think the first part of that is going back to what we know works, which is listening to our customer. Um, this has been a year where you didn't get the benefit of going to trade shows and seeing what's hip and innovative. But, you know, in COVID, we, we kind of had to realize that the customer is changing. And the two things I'll, I'll mention was touchless technology, which really would not have been something that we would have pursued with much gusto prior to COVID, but really the sensibilities of a consumer now taking the health of their home into a new level makes that a, a greater focus for us. And so we now have touchless technology in Rehabel kitchen faucets and in Parent and Row kitchen faucets. And the other part is, you know, as people spend more time in their homes, one of the things that I'm seeing as a macro trend that we're responding to is the idea of color and how important color, not color, color is in people's homes. And, you know, you, you see that because for so long it was white shaker cabinetry with a white countertop, white subway tile backsplash with a white freestanding bathtub. And anyone who knows me and has been to my house knows that I'm, I'm also describing my own house. And after a while, especially you know, as we've been home more, you're staring at all that, that white, bright and airy stuff. And you're like, man, I wanna pop a color in here. And so we actually worked with uh, a designer, uh, Carolyn Ames Noble, and uh, she put together a great CEU for us. Maybe some of uh, the listeners have, have heard it, um, but it talks about you know, how adding color into a space really changes your mood. And so that's a big reason why you know, we introduced painted tubs for Victoria and Albert. We introduced some more paint and different things for Shaw's. And you know, now we're putting together these um, collaborations with Wallpaper Magazine to really show people how color can create a mood and a space. And I think that's the very current uh, piece of innovation that's happening. Yeah, what's, uh, what have you learned about, the, about colors and moods? I, I've learned that you know, how you pair them together is, is really a work of art that I'm not skilled to do. Um, you know, I, I have a, a cousin of mine who's an interior designer here in LA. And over the years, as I've gotten to know him and, and deal more with interior designers, one thing I've learned is they're extremely valuable. You know, having, having the ability to do a project doesn't mean you have taste. And working with someone that really understands the science, the psychology, and the dynamics of putting together the right colors into a space is critically important. And it's not something that's just innate in everybody. Like the color palettes that the wallpaper editor that we worked with put together, I wouldn't have known to select that. But you know, she knew which colors pop well off each other, which ones complement each other. Because you know, for us to say that we've got 200-ish colors that you can choose for Victorian Albert, sometimes might give someone selection anxiety and think, well, I don't know which one. What's the difference between this one and this one? Yeah. Very subtle differences. But when you put it together and say, you know, you can use this color tub here, match it with this color sink, and then bring in this color of flowers or wallpaper or tile or towels. Now you've got a space that is either calming or invigorating 
or serene. And yeah, I think we need to bring that artistic relevance back to the spaces that we work with our clients to fill with great products. Yeah, I think I think it's a I've noticed that it's a real skill and talent of you know the the designers that differentiate themselves, I guess, from you know, people who just design from templates or uh, just from right. existing things that they've seen in Pinterest or, you know, wherever they've seen it in a magazine or something. It's the ability, I, I recently just saw, you know, on, on, a, on a project that we did here in San Francisco and this designer, I mean, what, what an amazing talent. This guy was able to connect with the client to understand their personality, their moods, how they want to feel when they enter their kitchen or their bathroom. And he was able, it was almost like he was able to like crawl in their brain and figure out what they wanted to feel in every room that they wanted to be in. And he, I mean, I've never seen any, uh, any designer work like that before. And it was like the client completely trusted everything that he did. And mm -hmm. so it, I, I totally agree with you. It's like, it's, it's almost a lost art or a skill, or maybe it's just, uh, it's just a, it's just something that's really hard that um, only a few really know how to do when you can make that connection with the person or the client. And then you're able to, you know, select colors or figure out, you know, what mood they want to feel when they, when they enter a bathroom or a kitchen or, you know, what their personality is and, and how to fit all that in there. Um, it's, it's really incredible. Um, but it kind of leads yep. into like, you know, back to sort of back to consolidation. Where do you, where do you think, uh, with, with everything that we've talked about, what, what are some of the effects of consolidation and how, what, what, what impact it's having on the industry and where is the industry now to where we see like, is, you know, are we just going to see, consolidation just becoming like a bigger thing is every company eventually going to consolidate uh you know are brick and mortars going to disappear uh small you know i mean is it going to be ultimately be like impossible for small vendors or small family-owned uh, vendors to penetrate the industry uh where do you think that's at right now yeah I, I think it's a great question and you know when you think about other industries um you know, my past life in kitchen and bath when I started, you know, I was on the cabinetry side selling to retail. Now, I can tell you that if I want to go buy, you know, a hardware store, I'm not going to see any for 30 or 40 you know, miles around my home because there was this uh, super consolidation for so long. And eventually, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's and in the Midwest Menards, they kind of bought everyone out and the smaller players couldn't compete. You know, I wouldn't want to start an online bookstore right now, you know, because of how strong Amazon was. But you get someone like a Zappos that starts off and says, we're, we're not going to be an Amazon. We're going to focus on shoes and customer service. And that's going to be our business model. And they were able to thrive. Um, they happened to be top of mind because I was just in Vegas and I saw their signs everywhere. So I think, yes, you will continue to see consolidation, but I don't think it's going to be to the level of you know, Amazon making an, owning an online bookstore impossible or what we saw in the, you know, mom and pop hardware business in terms of how that went away. I think what you're going to have is, yes, ongoing people, uh, big companies buying out some of the smaller ones, um, but you're also going to have smaller showrooms become more innovative and offer things that aren't replicable 
either uh, by a, a big corporate company or by a, an online site. And that really comes down to the people, the level of service, the innovative way to engage with products. Uh, I think those things will set apart the experience of someone walking into a showroom versus you know doing some of those other things. And you know, I, I don't have a recipe for do these five things and it will work, but we are still in a people business. And the clients of showrooms, be they interior designers, custom home builders, or you know, an end consumer, they still really do need to buy from a person and get to know you know, the level of support that they're going to receive on the front end, because we know mistakes are expensive in our industry, as well as on the back end, because we know that any remodel or build, you're going to have challenges and you're going to need that person to help troubleshoot and walk you through it on the back end. So I, I think the personal side of it is always going to be critical and it, it will prevent uh, us from mortar or small mom and pop showrooms uh, go away entirely. Yeah, I hope not. I mean, because you mentioned you mentioned cabinetry, and the first company that popped into my mind is a uh, furniture guild. I mean, they're dominating the the vanity market, and they're you know they're family owned, and they just I mean the stuff that they come out with is just it's That's absolutely beautiful. I mean it's amazing. Love their products. Yeah, yeah. and nobody's touching it right now. Um, we're, I mean, we're a small showroom. We only have, I mean, there's only three of us here working. So it's almost like we're forced into innovation first for survival purposes. Cause we're, we got Ferguson, you know, and Bath and Beyond, which was just acquired by Ferguson right down the road. And then we're, sure. surra we're surrounded by all the Jack London's in the Bay area too. So if we, if we don't think of new things to, you know, remain relevant, then it's like, we would have gone away years ago, but our, I mean, our advantage is that we're also plumbers. And so we have a, we have a plumbing company. And so we're able to help a lot on the install and the service side. So that's been, sure. that's been a huge plus for us. But other, I mean, other than that, I mean, we get eaten alive sometimes. It's, it's a really, yeah, really but, tough market. You know what? I think sometimes there is this fallacy where you think if we, if we just had more money to throw at a problem, we could resolve it. And you know, no. during COVID, I, I think no I way. used this phrase earlier that, you know, constraints breed creativity. It's It's been my quote through COVID that, you know, when, when you think you can't do something that, that really does force you to say, well, if I can't do it that way, if I can't buy the solution, what other avenues do I have to get out of this jam? And sometimes, you know, the biggest problems that come your way end up being the biggest blessings because they force you to do something differently that others haven't thought about or just aren't doing in general. Yeah, no, completely. I, I totally agree with you. It's been the same for us, like during this pandemic and we've, you know, I, I don't know, it kind of, it kind of motivated all of us. So, I mean, we're still here, so it's not, it's not all that bad and things are finally looking up again. So, um, I mean, we're excited. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm excited to go to some of the trade shows again and, um, can't wait. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think everybody is just like, I mean, I'm, but you, you know, we're on a Zoom and I'm like, I am so sick of Zoom. <laughs> I know, but, but you know what? Companies that are in that mature stage, mm -hmm. if, if they just get comfortable and complacent, as I think, you know, you think back to the last, you know, six, seven years of this industry, you just kind of followed this predictable pattern. You know, we go to KBiz and you go to this show and then you do this show and then later in the year, it's this show. And all of a sudden you can't go to shows. And it does force you to say, 
okay, well, that's out. I can't force people back into a trade show this year. Yeah. So what's a different way of spending our money? And, you know, we found ways throughout the year, not just Zoom trainings, obviously people at some point grew tired of that, but we found ways to engage with people and get them excited at a time when the old ways of doing things wasn't going to be. And I'll tell you that while I am excited about getting back to shows, especially the DPHA show, there are certain things we're not going to do the same way. You know, we're, yeah. we're going to be far more uh, cautious and curious about what are things that really help drive the relationships that help us thrive in our business and where do we get the most bang for our buck in terms of ROI. And we're not just going to be complacent and keep doing things the way we've always done it. And I think that's a good thing because that does force that innovation. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but when you consolidate, you, you have fresh voices at the table. You've got people that either came from the small company to the large, and they're going to have uh, different opinions about things, or you're going to have the large people from the, the group that did the acquiring say, hey, you know what? Um, you're not doing this, and, and we have been, and it really works for us. Why don't we bring you into you know, this other way of doing something? And it, I think that's where you get a lot of value. Yeah, I agree. So what uh, what's what's an example of something that you you feel like you're going to train change, maybe not do that you did in the past or add on? Or is that something you don't want to share quite yet? No, I mean, I think from a, a macro standpoint, yeah, I, I can tell you uh, traveling for traveling's sake. Yeah, um, just because that's the way you've always done it. You know, I think now I would look at it and say, you know what, rather than travel and bring a group together for an offsite in order to do the work. Why don't we do the work collaboratively as much as we can virtually um, and then get together to either put on the final touches or to have a creativity session or even just to celebrate a victory and deepen relationships. Like, I think I'm going to do a lot more of that with, with the customers I work with because why would I fly all the way there to, to weather report numbers on a PowerPoint? Like we can go through the PowerPoint on a virtual call, when we get together, let's go hit some golf balls. Let's go have dinner. Let's work through a current problem. But, yeah. you know, I, I think so adapting to better technological use uh, will be a staple going forward. Yeah, that is one. Uh, that, that's interesting. That's I mean, that's what technology is good for. That's what Zoom is good for, is that you can get a lot more done and you can be productive because when you, you know, when you go and meet the people in person or you go to a trade show or you go and visit a showroom or one of your accounts, it's like, you want this stuff to kind of get out of the way anyway. Right. right. It's, almost, it's kind of like when you're at a wedding, you don't want to sit, you don't, you don't want to sit during the ceremony. You're just, you're, you just want to go to the reception. So <laughs> it's like, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's like, why don't you just save, why don't you just save the fun stuff for when you see them in person? Cause that's actually where you get to know, the people that you're dealing with. And that's what everybody says at the trades shows anyway. It's like, nobody's there for the, for the breakoffs or, I mean, right. those are all good bonuses. And you're, you know, you're like, Oh, the speaker was good. And you know, all that crap, but um, you're really there. I mean, the most business is done by getting to know the people that you do business with, or maybe you get to know somebody that you never thought that you would do business with. And really just because you guys hit it off or something. So I, I, that's a, that is an interesting point. So you're saying like almost going to adapt to or evolve into kind of like a hybrid model where you use technology to, uh, to be more productive and to get those things out of the way, but you're going to kind of allocate your costs and, and spend your money where, where it really matters. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I you know, I, I think even sending stuff like a pre-read prior to a meeting and, and yeah. saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to walk you through. It's almost insulting now to be like, yeah, get on a call and I'm going to walk you through what you see on the slides. I'm going to read yeah. the slides to you. I just think I don't want to do that anymore. Like no. I'd rather just send it to you and say, tell you what, take an hour, walk through it, read it. It's all thorough in there. And yeah. then when we get on a call, let's talk about it. Let's have an engaging discussion about what yeah. you thought and you know where we go from there. And I think that, that isn't just a more respectful, better way of doing business that came out of the pandemic, but I also think it's a better use of our time. It's more efficient to say, read it when you get a chance. And yeah. then ask you know, me it's questions. Almost like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, we're doing this, this panel. I mean, once you release this, people can listen to it while they're jogging. They can listen to it while they're in traffic. You know, they don't have to log on at 2 PM on a Thursday when they could be doing something else. So I, I think just using technology and recognizing the value of of information and all the various modes in which we can, you know, dispense that information. I think it's huge. Yeah. So you're, what you're saying is you're not going to fly across the country to go read a PowerPoint to a, to a group of people. <laughs> I see yeah. no value in that anymore. No. no. Yeah. Thank God. But, but you know what? I'll fly halfway across the country to sit down one-on-one -on -one with someone and let them know that I appreciate their business and their support. And how can I help you? And, you know, I don't think digital is great for that. I, I think it's, it, it's filled, it was a Band-Aid approach, but I really think that human element of trust, which is such a foundational element of doing any business with anybody, and you don't build trust via Zoom calls, you build trust in person. Right. I, I completely agree. Um, well, so we talked a lot about, we talked a lot about how consolidation benefited the company, uh, benefited, you know, sort of the overall vision and then, you know, innovation for House of Roll. What, what have you seen on the other side? Like, how do you think the customers have, you know, what have they seen as far as value and consolidation? And, you know, what, what, what are the consumers going to see? Like, uh, how do we change that perspective of, of uh, you know, doom and gloom when you see a company that gets acquired? How are we going to change that? And, and what are when are customers actually going to say, like, you know, when they see a consolidation or they see a company get acquired, when are they going to say, oh, wow, this is this is going to be fantastic as opposed to the other way around? You know, it, it, it's a great question um, because habits do take a long time to change. And, you know, I think back to the quote, you know, change has no constituency. And people, I think, by nature don't like change. So whether it's their favorite coffee shop that says now a division of such and such, you know, that generally doesn't create a great emotional response because your first inclination is to say, uh-oh, what I like is now different. And I don't want different. I want what I like. But I think if you embrace that and say, okay, well, how is this going to change my experience with it? And, you know, for us, because when we think of our customers, we think of our showroom partners, our wholesalers, you know, we don't always think end consumer because you know, we sell to you. And so for us, when you start to see the benefits of, hey, I just noticed now that because House of Rolls one entity, I have one rep that represents all these brands, not five reps. I have one PO I can send in. I have one program that's simplified. I have one customer service number. You know, eventually it's, you know, you're going to have you know, more products in the States that currently might reside in Canada. 
And so I think when you start to have enough good experiences, you go, man, I wouldn't want to go back to what it was before. I like this new entity. And so the real difference between having a good response or a bad response, I think, is how well the company does in time changing their mind from, hey, something you like is going to change to say, hey, the new thing that's going to emerge out of this, you're going to like even better. And that that's where execution comes in. And that's where you know, just doing it right and listening to your customer in order to give them what they want out of the consolidation as opposed to what you think you want out of it. You know, if the only reason to consolidate is on paper, if it's all about, you know, numbers and, you know, cutting costs, then I don't think it's going to be successful. But if the point is to better serve your customer, then in time, they'll recognize that and be grateful for it. Yeah, that's a good point. You think consolidation is good for the industry? I think it's a necessary part of, of any industry. It's part of that life cycle. It's part of what keeps you from entering a period of decline because it, it brings kind of you know fresh energy and it brings you back to the beginning of that cycle with innovation. So I ultimately think it's a necessary part of any industry uh, from dying out. And yeah, I do. I do think that competition is good. You know, the better your competition is, the better you have to be to survive and to stay in the ring and you know, I, I don't think any one of us want easy, you know, this industry will look very different for our kids and our grandkids. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to be that uh, intentional force of change that we want to see in our industry and think about what kind of consumers are coming out over that next generation and how are they going to want to be treated? How are they going to want to be communicated with? What kind of products are they going to want in their home? And I, I think as long as we're future minded, not hey, this is how it used to be and I miss the good old days, then I think we're going to keep that fresh energy going forward and consolidation, I think, will be one component that helps drive that. That's a good point. I, I agree. I mean, like that's that's almost, that's the worst thing you hear, right, is, well, this is, this is the way we've always done it. So it works. And I mean, I personally hate hearing that. So, yeah, but uh, I, I'm feeling that there. I am feeling like sort of this new wave of energy and new blood coming into our industry for a while. It was kind of, uh, it was getting a little stale or you were seeing things not change for a while, but there I I'm seeing a little movement and I'm seeing, you know, a lot of really, really fun and, and positive changes. So, um, Hey, maybe consolidation is a big part of that. And, uh, but I mean, to your point, though, I, I have seen situations where companies, uh, they consolidate for what, you know, because it makes sense on paper. Um, but, hey, I mean, if that's the reason that they're doing it, then it's it's probably gonna, not going to turn out to be a positive thing. So it's on them. That's right. And, you know, when we see it happening, you know, it's not necessarily something you or I can, can step in the way of and, and change. You know, the, the things that are yeah. controllables for us is our attitude and our expectations. And I think if our attitude is positive and our expectations are based in reality, then, you know, I, I think our emotional response to any consolidation becomes something that's a controllable for us. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe the biggest takeaway, at least for me, um, you know, being on the showroom side is that when you do see consolidation or you experience or your rep comes in and says, Hey, you know, our company just got acquired by so-and-so, maybe the, the most important question to ask that company or that rep is, well, you know, 
how did they how did they consider you know the value for the customer the consumer in that acquisition or in that consolidation can you tell me what what benefits they discussed or if that was a large part of the conversation to maybe dig in and figure out why they actually consolidated and if the answer is mostly that they're giving you or that well you know it made sense on paper or you know it really it looked really great on a spreadsheet then you probably know where it's going but if if maybe you know maybe if their answers are very consumer centric and they you know it was all about adding value to their product for the consumer so that they can deliver more uh, then it probably turned out to be a positive. So maybe that's the key to, you know, changing that perspective. Um, that was, that was really, really informative. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're dead on. Awesome. Well, Vic, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, this was, um, this was really great. I personally learned a lot, so I hope that our listeners and viewers, um, you know, listen for more than about five minutes <laughs> if anybody's attention span can last that long these days but hopefully we didn't go too long uh and you know if for any runners or joggers out there you know hopefully it wasn't too long that we're making it a little too long for the run and the well, exercise yeah thanks for inviting me this has been great you know i love i love the industry i love dphj and uh, since now we did our, our Zoom call, when we get together in person, we can focus on more important things like playing hockey and having a beer and, <laughs> you know, watching this whole thing unfold before our eyes. But, you know, I just want to tell the listeners, hey, we really appreciate your ongoing support at House of Roll. I know there's been lots of changes over the years, but, you know, take it from me where we're going and, you know, what we're going to be able to do for our customers in this industry is is going to be amazing. So I'm very excited to be a part of it and to be able to uh, give this insight to our friends in the industry. Awesome. Well, that about wraps it up. So take care, everybody. Until next time. If you would like to present in the future or inquire about membership or sponsorship, please visit dpha.net today.